Welcome to Everything's Not Black and White with your hosts, Lala and Brian. Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of 2022. If you are a brand new listener, we say welcome and we're glad you're here. And if you're one of our returning subscribers, thank you for being here with us two years now running with this great podcast. So super excited to have you with us. So we've been looking at the latest uh, environment around politics. It's been very challenging, uh, divisive in many ways and confusing. And so one of the things we wanted to do here on the EMBW podcast is bring a different perspective to help you understand what issues and what candidates are in front of you this year. And so today we have a new voice for Ohio on the line, uh, Morgan Harper. Morgan is running for U.S. Senator on behalf of the state of Ohio. Uh, The primaries will be coming up on May 3rd. So please welcome to the Everything's Not Black and White podcast, Morgan Harper. Hi, Morgan. Hey, Morgan. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Glad to have you. Thank you so much. So for folks who don't know anything about you, can you just give people a little bit of your background so they can understand who you are? Yeah, so I'm originally from here in Columbus. I was born at Ohio State Hospital, uh, given up for adoption. I lived in a a foster home as a baby and then was adopted and raised on the east side of the city. And, you know, my family and I was raised by my mom who worked in the Columbus, at the time, Columbus Public School System, as it was called, uh, went through a lot and, you know, had that experience of just overnight things can change. And, you know, in our case, it was this crazy divorce that my parents were going through. And it really just woke me up at a young age to the fact that we need to have more support for people and anyone, you know, that could potentially become vulnerable. So that's what led me to just figure out what is this, what's going on. I learned there was this thing called public policy, and and then that became the the career path that I chose. That's awesome. And I love that you say public policy, because I think one of the things that happens a lot of times is we think of politics as politicians and not like public servants, because Mm -hmm. people really are there to serve the public and to make sure citizens, just like you said, have what they need. So what what was the the draw for you? And, And if you don't mind, what do you feel like is the difference between a politician and a public servant? Yeah, great question. Uh, and, and in some ways, one of the major questions of our time <laughs> based on the political environment right now. So, you know, to me, uh, and, and just a little bit more about my journey, getting to be more of a politician, I guess you could say, or in the political sphere is, you know, I, I so I picture it, you know, I'm at Tufts, which is where I went to college. I learned there's this thing called public policy. I was like, all right, I got to I got to get more information about that. So I got a master's in it at Princeton, exposed to a lot of the big thinkers around policy issues, went to Stanford Law School. And then, you know, I find my way to Washington, D.C. I was one of Richard Cordray's policy advisors at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau after the, the financial and foreclosure crisis. And, you know, we were doing great work. I mean, CFPB was a place full of what I would call public servants Mm -hmm. and people who really were just there every day trying to deliver value for Americans all over the country, including here in Ohio. And we did that, you know, $12 billion back to 28 million consumers uh, who had been wronged by different companies, including a lot of the big banks with the the foreclosure crisis. And, um, and, but then I started to observe firsthand Congress and, and a lot of people on the Hill and a lot of what I would call politicians and mm-hmm. people that, you know, in some cases at best had no idea what was going on, but at worst, and, and a lot of them know exactly what's going on, but instead of 
being on the side of us public servants and trying to also move with urgency to get real change for people. They're taking money from big banks. They're more about their careers, so they're not going to push as hard because they don't want to offend any of their donors or any of their colleagues. And that was a real, another big wake up call, I would say, of my life of, wow, you know, we don't really have a policy or ideas problem. We know exactly what it would take to make sure that people on the ground are more secure. We have, we have this politician problem. We have people that it becomes more about them and power and money than communities. And that is why so many people, I think right now are disillusioned with politics. I, I, I 100% agree with you on that. And so the platform you're running on, I, I believe, is a progressive Democrat. Like, what does exactly that mean? Another great question. <laughs> <laughs> because these labels, you know, get thrown around a lot. And, uh, you know, I'll say what it means to me. And and I'd be interested, in, you know, in your all's thoughts. And, and certainly it depends a lot on people's perspectives, right? But to me, being progressive means that no matter who you are, whether or not your parents have a lot of money, whether or not you're born into a, an affluent neighborhood, you get a chance to live out your potential, an opportunity guarantee, so to speak, right? And, and that you, know, you put the work in and you're more or less going to be okay. Does it mean that you end up rich? No, but it means that you're not going bankrupt from getting sick. Mm. That to me is what progressive should mean. That's why I identify when it, when it's, labeled as that. That's why I would identify as a progressive. And I actually think that describes the majority of the people living in our state and our country, which is one of the things that gives me hope, <laughs> despite all the things going on right now and, and the political environment. Yeah, no, we completely agree. You know, Brian, my husband is a cancer survivor. And we mm. went through quite a bit over the last six years of his health up and down and, and two over 30 day stints in the James Hospital. And so wow. we understand very much what medical a medical situation can do to your economy. And put that uh, price tag in perspective, just uh, one of my treatments, CAR T-cell immunotherapy, cost about $500,000. Yeah. I mean, wow. I don't know who can afford that. Thankfully, we had insurance, but there are people out there that don't. Right. So it's a, mm -hmm. it's a challenge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that I'm glad that you were able to you know, get through all that. But yeah, no, and it's, it's extremely stressful. And I'm talking to people all over the state every day, you know, going through these experiences. And I think there's a lot of just, you know, picking up on healthcare topics in particular, because I think, I think healthcare really is one of those issues that is a unifying issue, even though it sometimes gets put in very polarizing terms, um, because, you know, that everyone can, can really relate to that, right? Mm -hmm. That there's this system that, you know, even if you have coverage, your premiums can be really high yes. or your deductible gets raised on you overnight. Right. Or we have a situation over the past couple of years in Ohio where a million people lost their health care coverage mm -hmm. because of a change in employment status. So mm -hmm. this isn't really sustainable. It's not getting to that goal that I believe most of us share of everybody being able to have access to reliable and affordable health care. Yeah, I, I agree. I think one of the challenges uh, in today's society is, is the way the system is set up. It's almost encouraging people not to get treatment. So, you know, with the high deductibles, so many people just don't go because they're afraid of that bill. And I think the system is broken and it's not going to get any better with time unless we make some changes starting now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, the, and those changes are, are possible. And how we got to this place is by having a lot of the big insurance companies, a lot of the big pharmaceutical companies being able to consolidate their power in these markets 
have what I would call bribes of our politicians by giving them money to make sure that they're not pushing too hard to change the status quo. And so we, we do have to leverage the power of the federal government to be able to push back on that, right? And, yeah. and force them to, to lower costs through, you know, just the breadth of people who would be part of more of a universal healthcare system. And when I'm talking to people, you know, and, and, and cause sometimes that, that perspective, you know, can be put as, oh, this is, this is so out there. But as I'm talking to people across Ohio, rural, urban, smaller city, bigger city, that connection is made, it, 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 it resonates for people. Mm-hmm. And, um, and a lot of folks don't even know that another, another setup is possible. But once you break it down, then even people who identify as Republican are supportive. And by the way, historically, it was Republicans who pushed for universal health care in the 1950s. Anyway. We've gotten way off track on that. Front. No, <laughs> it's okay. You don't. What you bring up is very interesting points because I think the political party system has become so polarized is that people don't even know where some of this stuff originated and then how it shifted and morphed over time, depending on who was running for office and what sound bites were out there. You know, so I think you put up a really great point. But people can totally relate to health because we all have to have it to be successful. You know, mm-hmm. so thinking along that lines and, you know, you're talking to people on both sides of the political aisle, like how how do you continue to reach across and have that bar- bipartisan consensus? Because we're seeing right now in Congress how absolutely divisive it is. Like what kind of things are in your planned strategy to kind of bridge some of those gaps? So I am very open minded about working with all different kinds of people who believe in the same issues that I believe in terms of solving the same problems, right? So if you're trying to work to figure out how can we make sure the economy is structured in such a way so that small, mid-sized businesses can compete, let's talk. If you're trying to figure out how everybody in Ohio and across this country can have that access to reliable health care that is not going to put them in debt, let's talk. But what I will not spend a lot of time doing is trying to negotiate. And this is, I believe, one of the mistakes that many people in our party have made on the Democratic side of things of negotiating with people who the end goal is obstruction. Mm -hmm. It is not trying to solve problems. Right. And so we need to be real about the fact that we now have, unfortunately, a Republican Party that has been completely overrun by people who fit in that category. Mm -hmm. But also be honest about the fact that we have many people within the Democratic Party who are who are the same right? right cinema mansion so you know being in the united states senate i'm not wasting time on that but if you're focused on solving problems and we can unite on the the discussions about how to solve problems come to the table let's talk more than happy to do that and actually one of the issues that is another priority of mine where there is some bipartisan momentum is on refreshing our antitrust trust laws for example and increasing enforcement of existing antitrust laws that would make the economy more competitive, would really um, achieve more of a free market. Because right now, you know, like the, the consolidation in a lot of markets that I was referencing make it, makes it very hard for new businesses to start mm-hmm. and compete. And so that's one that, you know, there's some Republicans who maybe I don't agree on much of anything else mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, in terms of issues, but if, if they are willing to advance that issue, let's talk. And, uh, and, and so that, that is possible on certain issues, but I, I do not want to waste time trying to negotiate with obstructionists. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, you, you pointed out about small businesses being able to compete, and I thought that's a, a great point. And one of the uh, stories I just read the other day was about Walmart shutting down about 234 stores, I believe, around the country. Uh-huh. And 
I, I find it troubling how Walmart went into these communities, basically shut down the mom and pop stands, the small businesses that, that we know and love in our community. And then when Walmart decides to shut down their store, they are leaving a lot of these, a lot of rural communities, particularly uh, without a central grocery store now because they, oh, yeah. they, they've shut down these mom and pop shops. Yeah, no, that that is the model of a monopolist, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> like yes. You enter the market. You have the the breath and power to be able to undercut with through predatory tactics your competition, charge the lower prices. You know, in in Walmart, I mean, you know, the epitome of all that with their their yellow signs, whatever, right? right. I forget the exact phrase, but yeah. they're going to undercut all the pricing of their competitors, push out local grocers. I actually met with this was uh this was before this campaign, but met with uh, a guy who was the son of Carl Brown. I don't know if. I don't know if you all remember, there's the Carl Baum grocery store that was on the near east side and, you know, historic black owned grocery store. And he still remembers when Walmart entered the picture and mm-hmm. he could no longer charge prices that anyone would be willing to pay. He was going to Walmart to try to get products for his local independent grocery mm-hmm. store. He's like, this is crazy. I can't mm-hmm. do this anymore. And they ended up closing down. Wow. So you're absolutely right. That's the, those are the predatory tactics that are happening in all different markets. And then Walmart, of course, doesn't care if you've created a food desert right. in a town or in a you know certain neighborhood. Uh, and then and then that leads to further health problems. So this is why antitrust, though, you know, it sometimes seems like a little bit of a, you know, who's focusing on antitrust law and all that. But a lot of us are, are living the impacts of very lax, lax antitrust enforcement yeah. over the past 40 years. Exactly. And it's, it's definitely time for change. And I think, you know, one of the things, you know, even as a a voter and a lifelong voter and somebody who is incredibly passionate about it, it has been very disheartening and has felt, you know, almost disillusioned with government seeing what's happening, what especially has been happening in the last probably four to eight years. And so if people are kind of sitting there watching this and going, man, the system is so broken, I don't even think it's it's repairable. Like, how Mm -hmm. do you convince people or or to help them understand it's important not to forfeit your vote, that they need to stay involved? Yeah, you know, this came up yesterday. We were in Toledo doing a a barbershop tour. And and this was a question I got from a young guy, a young black guy, and, and a demographic that a lot of people, especially on the Democratic side, are focused on the lower voter turnout that we're seeing, right? Or even in some cases, that demographic voting Republican, voting for Trump, third of black men in the Midwest voted for Trump. First question I got at, at the second barbershop, um, barbershop stop that we made is exactly that. Why would I believe in any of these people? Why would I believe in you? How can you change anything? And you know, my first response to that is, one, the disillusionment is completely rational because you know, we've mm-hmm. had a political system that has been on the side of a very few, you know, multinational large corporations and wealthy people and protecting that power, that status quo, that's not really serving the majority of people living in our state and country. And so I want to be real about that and not critique that perspective. But I think that is a rational place to be landing. And I do think moving forward, and this is, you know, what I said to him is, we have to be electing people who are for us have a higher standard of who we're going to be voting for. It's not enough for people to just say, I'm of this party, vote for me. It's tell us why, what are you going to stand for? And that's what, that's the type of accountability that I welcome from day one before even getting elected. And so some of the things that I told him we need to be looking for out of people is a commitment to not take any corporate money. It is not, I don't say that to be anti-business. I say that to be pro-democracy. And that means that you cannot, 
be taking money from the very people that you're supposed to be regulating and passing legislation to, uh, to, to influence, right? Two, we need to make sure that we are electing people who also aren't looking to make politics a career, like we were talking earlier. I am very direct with anybody who asks me, look, I already have a career. I don't need, I don't need to be in Washington, D.C. or the United States Senate to get a career. I'm trying to get to the Senate to serve us and, and to be a true public servant. And so I will self-impose term limits so that people will know I'm very real about that, mm-hmm. only serving two terms in the United States Senate. Uh, and I find, you know, that's the kind of thing that when I when I say that to people, they're still unsure because folks are really, really suspicious of all politics right now. Sure. But then at least land in a place of, yeah, OK, you know, maybe maybe I'll I'll believe a little bit and encourage people to vote, but with a higher standard of how we're going to exercise that vote moving forward. Yeah, I love that. And I, I, I the word that really resonates with me, you say, is accountability. And I think mm-hmm. that's been something that's been absolutely missing. You've seen so much hypocrisy and flip flopping back and forth with a lot of these politicians and no one wants to be held accountable. They want to pass the buck. So I appreciate the accountability that you're willing to take on for what you choose to, to, to do with your running. So that's amazing. Thank you. So just as people are listening to all of this, can you just give people your belief or why should they vote for you? Well, I think that right now we are at a crossroads as a state. And that's the interesting thing about this Senate race. I mean, we have people running on the Republican side that are very much of the far right that is obstructionist, that is not about democracy, that is not about government doing anything at all, let alone, you know, getting into the nuances of, you know, one policy over another, right? And so to me, everybody who lives in the state who does care about being a democracy and having a government, you know, work for us needs to be voting for a Democrat in this election. But I would say, what kind of Democrat and what what kind of Democrat is going to be able to win? And we need to be real about the fact that we have to have a Democrat that can stand and say forcefully on the side of working people, forcefully on the side of anti-corruption, And that is what my whole career has been about. But then, you know, overall, what we're trying to shoot for, what kind of Ohio we want to be, because we we now are at a point where it's not clear. Are we going to continue to go on into this direction where young people don't want to stay here, where older people can't afford to live here? Or are we going to move forcefully into the direction of the future and be a state that is is a place of opportunity for everyone? And I'm about that latter. And what's it going to take to get there? Making sure everybody has health care making sure that we have debt-free education that's going to set our young people up for jobs that are going to pay enough to support families, and that we also are going to invest in our small businesses and have an economy where people can compete. And so that's what I'm looking to do in the United States Senate, and that's why I hope that everyone will support me both in this Democratic primary uh, and in the general election in November. That's awesome. Well, this has been so enlightening. Morgan, and I can just tell you, as a lifelong voter and as somebody who cares very much about government politics and our citizens, you are a very refreshing new voice uh, to hear where you stand and, and what you plan to do. So thank you for that. Do you have some upcoming events that you want to promote, let people know about? One, I would encourage everybody, if they if they haven't already, to sign up on our website, morganharper.org. We have a, a volunteer link there, and then that'll get us on your 
get you on our list to be able to keep up to date with everything that's happening. Our big priority is going to be getting all of our signatures to get on the ballot, which those are due on February 2nd. So there are going to be a lot of different events coming up over the next couple of weeks there. So just sign up on the website, morganharper.org, and you'll be in the loop on that. And then also follow along on social media, MH4OH. So MH, the number four, and OH on all platforms. Uh, we post a lot of what, you know, upcoming events and things on social media. So that's a, another place to follow along. Great. And we'll have a link to your website and those links as well. Great. So Thank that, you. That'd be awesome. And so everybody, the primary election is May 3rd of 2022, and you have to be registered to vote by April 4th. So please make mm-hmm. sure if you are not registered or you need to update your information, please make sure you do that by April 4th so that you can get involved. And then like we like Morgan said, we're going to put some stuff on on our site so that you can make sure you can help get the signatures needed uh, to get Morgan and their team on the ballot. So, Morgan, we appreciate you so much. Thank you for taking the time to come by and talk with us today. Absolutely. No, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. And hopefully I'll be able to come on again soon. Yes, we'd love it when you have your victory party so we can have some fun. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do it. The follow up. Yes. So everyone, thank you so much for joining us again today. If you want to stay in touch with us, you can reach us at emwpodcast at gmail.com or on Facebook. All right, everybody have a great day. Talk soon.